Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me today is Taylor Damwell, the shark actually out on vacation. He's in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina, I believe, after we spent a weekend in New Orleans celebrating a good friend of ours getting married. What a town. I've said it a million times. That's probably my favorite Sydney city in America, that or San Diego. In terms of fun levels, I don't think you're going to beat New Orleans. That's not breaking news. No, no city throws a party like New Orleans, but the best part was the second line after the wedding. Uh, but regardless, the shark stuck sticking around in the South. He's got a big week. He took the entire week off. He's going to uh, Georgia, Tennessee. That's probably where his week will start to go on the on the down on the down slope. Uh, because I cannot imagine Tennessee is going to beat Georgia in football, but he's on vacation. So it's just me and Taylor. Uh, we're brought to you by the Barnburner Podcast Network. Of course, go subscribe on whichever device you use. And this episode of Feet, the first one of the season, baby, is also brought to you by Beach House Soaps. No matter where you live, bring a little bit of the beach to your home with Beach House's all natural soaps. You can be sure to find them at beachhousesoaps.com. Your college hooper of the week is Darnell Gant, former forward for the University of Washington Huskies. They could use some of those early 2010s uh, players for the Huskies right now. They're terrible. They lost a couple nights ago. First game of the season. Mike Hopkins, we might be witnessing uh, the last last year at the helm for UW. We'll get into their loss and a bunch of other really bad losses uh, across the, the college basketball landscape. But Darnell Gant, your college hooper of the week. Make sure to check us out at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter as well at CBB Theater. You can follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. Taylor, officially back, my man. Uh, Before we dive into some hoops, though, and there was a large buffet of them a couple nights ago, you're in a new home and you're really built. I I said, I told the theater goers, Shark is uh, vacationing. You're out here literally breaking your back. 
busting a sweat, installing new windows. What's going on over there? Congratulations on the new home. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like I've taken an unintentional hiatus from the podcast for several episodes here. But yeah, I bought a house about a month ago and have uh, been doing all the work myself. So like today I was hammering up concrete. I replaced the toilets, replaced the windows, uh, uh, rented a loader and tore up the whole yard, pouring concrete, the whole nine. So um, yeah, it's uh, sweat equity, I would say, is what we're, we're working heavily on here uh, in Scottsdale. So, um, even closer to old town than my previous homes were. So for all of our loyal listeners out there who are many of them, frequent visitors of Scottsdale, uh, we have an even closer pad to, uh, to pregame for festivities, festivities, let's call it. Let me go back to something that you said originally in the intro though. New Orleans is such like a U town, isn't it? Cause Vegas is like, you said it's the funnest town in America. Well, there are other fun towns like Miami, Vegas, but you're not really a Vegas guy. I mean, you are, but like you don't take advantage of like the gambling part of it. And, you know, the the club stuff is kind of we're past that type of stuff, you know. And then Miami's like stay out till seven in the morning and kind of same as Vegas. New Orleans is a very you not that it's laid back, but it's not like clubby or gambly is, is that an accurate statement for yeah you know it's, it's it's very salt it's more salt of the earth i think than vegas and miami you see dickheads running around in those cities whereas new orleans was just wait like people dumping their titties out for beads uh and that's i'm that's including myself i think the first night i did that um but it's it's just a little bit more uh dive bar-y if you will, like you mentioned, as opposed to clubby. Uh, I can't do Miami, I don't think. I can I can do Vegas, though. Vegas is a blast. I understand that. I can appreciate that. But you're right. The city that suits me the best is certainly New Orleans. And here's the thing. Like, we focus on the partying and whatnot. And I even said I think bourbon is better than the strip. But what separates New Orleans, in my estimation, is, number one, the food. Okay, Miami has good i don't think vegas has good food they have like good hotel food they have uh buffets etc fine but new orleans has terrific local food uh they also have things to do you can go on like a ghost tour you can go on a gator tour that stuff matters to me you go to vegas you gamble miami i think there's probably other stuff that you can take the boat out whatever but something charming about new orleans and and this is my second time there granted the first time i went was for a bachelor party this time was for a wedding so I could probably have fun at a bachelor party or wedding anywhere, right? Lawrence, Kansas, I could do, but New Orleans, it just knocks my socks off every single time. You know, it is fitting. And this is how committed you and the shark are to college basketball. And maybe you're not even doing this intentionally, but this is subconsciously how good you are at what you do. It is completely fitting that you started the basketball season in New Orleans which is where the college basketball season will be ending this year as well. That's how connected to the sport that you guys are. We got to remember that. I got to remember that for our last episode of the season, because that is, that is going to, that's going to be a nugget that we got to bring up. It will literally be full circle. Thank you for reminding us about that shit. We should go. Should we put a plan in place to try and go? Well, it's kind of like you and I always talk about how we're never going to win. Uh, a bracket contest until Arizona wins a national championship. 
I've always just been like, okay, yeah, well, I'll go to the final four, like when Arizona goes, and then now I'm still fucking sitting here, not going to final fours. I mean, I went to the one in Phoenix when it was here a couple of years ago, and it's in Phoenix, uh, either next or 2023 or 2024. So I'll definitely go to that. But yeah, I mean, I- I'm definitely down to go to New Orleans. I think Shark and I have talked about this before. My ultimate sports weekend would be a final four in the South which I roll into the masters the following week after the final four. So, I mean, don't tempt me with a good time. I don't know if it's going to get much closer. I mean, obviously maybe Atlanta to, uh, why am I blanking on where the masters is Augusta? Sorry. Yeah. New Orleans to Augusta. I can't imagine is terribly far versus other final four venues. Although let me tell you something though. I might have to strike it. I'm, I don't know if other guys are like this, but I am terrible at scheduling and planning a calendar. Right. So whenever someone says we should do X, Y, and Z this date, I'm like, yes, yes, I'm down. I'll do a very, very cursory glance at what I might have going on. Uh, for example, I was invited to a Florida state Miami football game a couple years ago. And uh, my fiance basically said, you know, hold on before you commit. Let's check the calendars. And I got into a really big uh, tizzy. I basically said, these are my friends. This is my decision. I don't know why you're trying to like hold me to this shit. turned out I was in two weddings or in a wedding, excuse me, that weekend. We had two weddings that weekend. I was in one of them. So I'm really bad at that. That's all this to say that next year I probably won't go to the final four because Again, weddings. We have like six of them, our close, close group of friends. So I don't know how much uh, travel time I can really allot to, to that. But in two years, if it is in Phoenix, man, in your new home, build, give me a, a guest room. Yes, the room does have your name on it. I do want you to know and the theater goers to know that I have still on his second move out of the move from the house that we previously lived in together, I have for a second time taken with me your wine and paint pictures that you left at the house. And those are still some of the most expensive pieces of artwork that I own. If you want to hang them in the bathroom, if you want to hang them in the garage, I don't care. Just you should get some sort of money for them because uh, I, I put in a lot of effort to that. I, I use, I used to be scared of going to those paint and sip classes because I don't have an artistic bone in my body. But after I got one under my belt, I kind of started to enjoy them. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see improvement from uh, one through the through the third, like market improvement. Um, let me also say that the Phoenix uh, Final Four is 2024. So year after after next and your room will be, in fact, ready for you. Noted. I can't wait. So speaking of the Final Four, we saw some teams a couple nights ago that uh, many are saying could go to the Final Four. And it's no different than any other year. The Champions Classic, okay, we had three ranked teams in Duke, Kentucky, and Kansas, and then Michigan State, who I think is starting the season unranked for the first time in, in like since 2011, something like that. I don't know. Again, we're not stack guys. Taylor, you might be, be able to pull that up. But the Champions Classic, always a great way to kick off the season, except this one was a little bit happier for us. Taylor, how good was it to see a fully jam-packed Madison Square Garden after what we were witnessing last year, which was fine compared to the year prior where we got the tournament stripped away, but and, and we were basically just pavloving for any college basketball, which we got, but the other night we were able to see it back 
to normal. Yeah, no, it was great. Um, I've always thought that the Champions Classic is kind of, um, I don't know if goofy is the right word, but we never really get a full, uh, you know, feel for how the teams really are going to be. There's been a handful of blowouts over the years in it. And like you said, last year, it was, it wasn't canceled. It was moved. They did games at, I think, Cameron and um, I think Bankers Life Fieldhouse in Indianapolis is where they had the other one. So it just wasn't the same. Now, the Kansas-Michigan State game was very entertaining to me and felt like a great out-of-conference college basketball game. The uh, the Duke-Kentucky game felt like a big fucking game. I mean, especially like after the under-eight timeout, um, I don't think any I, nobody was sitting down the whole time in the arena. Like It felt like a big game and that was my biggest takeaway from the entirety of the college basketball day yesterday was like that felt like a legitimate college basketball game now, i don't want to say for the first time since like 2019 2020 you know because last year we did have some fans in some arenas and especially late in the season but boy that for the first game of the year to me that felt very different than almost every other champions classic maybe the first one or two when we were first really getting excited about it believe it or not that's already been 10 years since the first champions classic which this still seems like a new thing to me but um that yeah that's my biggest takeaway and the players like the players both on duke and kentucky this is an obvious statement. I get that, but they're, they were obviously NBA players in that game playing like NBA players. Um, it didn't strike me as a call, even like a college basketball game. It just felt like a big basketball game. Duke has a way of doing that. I think the closest thing I remember to that was Zion and RJ Barrett, and they were incredible in that first opener, but you're right. I mean, I, I, I think there is something to be said about fans being back in and that particular Duke Kentucky game, because even if you think back to last year, try and imagine how awesome that Gonzaga UCLA game would have been with a full jam packed house. I mean, I don't think that it was, was it right? Like, I mean, I, I just remember Jalen Suggs going over and them celebrating on the court exhausted, but I don't remember it being this euphoric moment. Obviously, I, I think that's probably the best game I've ever seen in college basketball, the Jalen the Jalen Suggs half-court game winner over UCLA. But in terms of atmosphere, I think this one was better. And you're talking about we're going to look at it, our kids, grandkids, whatever, are going to look in the annals of college basketball and be like, well, how, how can you say that this first game in the Champions Classic was better than an epic Final Four, uh, a, a team that went from – the first four in and almost beating and ruining an undefeated season versus the first game of the year. And I'm like, let me tell you why there's a shitload of context that you're missing, but that game did feel very exciting. And even coach K coach K had lost his voice. I think he was doing an interview with Holly Rowe at the end of the game. And he's going to get these questions a billion times. Like, Hey, this is your last time here. Uh, this is your last time in, in this venue. How do you feel? But I think that particular game, K, and I think each game sort of moving forward, at least the big-time games, I don't expect K to to really cherish the moments uh, against Clemson. But when he goes to the Dean Dome, when he goes to even Wake Forest, NC State, he's going to give it a little extra. And I think we saw that with K last night too. Yeah, uh, 100%. I actually loved that Coach K uh, used the John Calipari line in the first interview of the season as well. He's 
Holly, we're just we're just so young, you know. We're just we're just kids out there, you know. Cal Calipari has used that every single game for about fifteen years now. It feels like um, I did enjoy the call or go ahead even though even though real quick it's funny especially kansas and i think we're going to see this in the across the landscape of college basketball with this extra year because of covid a lot of these players are a little older and yeah he's got bancaro he's he's got uh trevor key who you also have guys like Joey Baker who's been there forever you got a guy like Theo John who's been there I think since the Trump administration like the first year so I mean, we're gonna see some older players but go ahead Keels is so good by the way and so is uh Huevos Rancheros is what I've been starting to call uh Paolo <laughs> you so it's a hard C hold on let's go hard C dude that was the biggest that is it's like it's like looking at nachos and not calling them nachos <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I can't. Still can't. I've been watching this guy for you know years, and especially now leading up to the season, and I still, yeah, uh, Rancho Bandero, uh, Rancho Bernardo for those Southern California folks, maybe. Yeah, I just can't. His name is to me going to be Huevos Rancheros, I think. But I mean, that guy is—he's not even a college basketball player. Him like Amani Bates. These these guys are not college basketball players. I know we say this every year at like whatever, but the size and the skill of the players coming up now, and especially in that game last night, is just wild to me because you watch an NBA game and you could have watched Keels and Rancheros and then watched an NBA game later that night and you would have seen very similar skill sets. Uh, same thing with people like Amani Bates as well. But anyway, rolling back a second here. If I'm allowed to be a downer for one second, and I know this isn't supposed to be anti-Duke or anti-Coach K or anything like this, but is there a point in the season? I know we've kind of talked about this in the offseason a little bit, but is there a point in the season where we get tired of the Coach K curtain call every single game, especially on ESPN? I'm telling you, it's like game two of conference play. Maybe not even of conference play. Maybe now that we have the pageantry of college basketball being back, the, the newness of the season, the bright lights of MSG. I think whenever, the, how about this? We'll say their first game on ACC network because it's going to be played still on like ESPN sports center afterwards, but I'm already over it. It was a wonderful evening hug for coach K. He's going to be getting his ass kicked all, se- all season, which is fine. But yeah, I mean, it's already old. I think for me. Yeah, they're going to go and play like Georgia Tech or something. And they're going to be like, wow, the last. Like, do you even know the name of Georgia Tech's arena? No. I mean, yeah. I personally don't. Was that no. a question to me? Yeah, Definitely no, I mean, I, it could be rhetorical too. And they're going to be like, wow, the last last game at fucking Georgia Tech Stadium. And he's going to be like, yeah, man, a lot of memories in here. I'm like, no, there's not a lot of fun. What are the fucking memories here? Yeah, we beat Georgia Tech 50 years in a row here. And yeah. Except for that one or two years Chris Bosch was here. Like, the, the, it's going to get tiresome. And I compare it to, like, the Derek Jeter thing or, I guess, Mario Rivera, too. Just to bring up two Yankees because most Duke fans are Yankee fans. So, I guess that's fitting here where it's <laughs> yeah. like, okay, we get this. Okay, we understand. So, like, maybe the first and last game against the Red Sox or, the you know, the games against North Carolina. But you know they're going to fucking hammer us with these goofy ass even like wake forest i know it's p- part of the try you know it's right there but i'm like even wait do you think coach k has ever really given a fuck about wake forest other than like maybe the five to seven good years they've had over the last 
30 maybe no so i could definitely tell already last night and i'm like ugh. okay last night i got it msg champions classic all that but going forward i'm like can we just like maybe when we get to march we'll start doing this kind of wrap-up of the career thing i don't know i'm i don't mean to be a downer because and this isn't even anti-coach k because he's unbelievable i just think that we're gonna just just get this pounded into us all year well i if i use your comparison with mo rivera and jeter at least this isn't well what's 162 divided by two Right, because the full baseball season, 162. 81, yeah. Right, 80. Thank you, mathematician over here. I'm supposed to be the Indian guy. But 81, right? That's that's 81 games being played on the road. Uh, yeah, that was that was a lot. I guess I suppose you could divide that by three or something, or maybe maybe two because they probably do it on the last. Whatever, I'm, I'm in such a rabbit hole right now. But anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think we're all pretty much over it. But the game itself, like you had mentioned, uh, was a blast. Top-level basketball talent. Bancaro we talked about, but I do want to talk a little bit about Trevor Keels. First, this team, this Duke team is beefy. I think Bill has tweeted it out, but I had this thought during the game. I was saying to myself, I've never seen a Duke team with these broad of shoulders, right? Keels is at the line. And you can actually tell when a team is huge because like, they have that shot of the guy at the foul line taking a deep breath in with the ball in his hands, and he's got like – shoulders like fucking Patrick Young. So Trevor Keels is a beast. Bancaro's pretty big for himself, right? They Theo John, good god, Theo John is is an enforcer down there. Theo John's definitely teetering on the mm, you might have a shot at tight end in the NFL like like a Rico Gathers, like a like a Mark Vital, right? I I can't remember a Duke team that was this strong honestly or just this muscular it looks like yeah that's not usually their style of recruit it's usually a little more thin guy rj bear i mean zion was obviously huge but that he's in a whole another category um yeah rj barrett's and uh uh brandon ingram's and guys like that john shire like you know (laughs) I'm just, still, just I'm still bigger than I'm still bigger bigger than Brandon Ingram is, and he is in an NBA weight program. Uh, but that's that's not even to say either that Duke was the only big team on the floor last night, though. Like I think my favorite player in college basketball is already Os- Oscar. Uh, say it for me, uh, Shibway. Which yeah, Shibway. Shibway. Yeah, yeah, from Lubumbashi, Congo. I mean, that guy was active last night what do you have 19 rebounds like 11 of them offensive or something stupid like that um he is a huge man as well and that's just kind of goes to my point of what i was saying earlier it's like we watched a bunch of nba players last night and that's what was awesome i definitely got way more of that feel in the duke kentucky game than i did in the michigan state kansas game and that's not to say that uh, kansas isn't uber talented either michigan state definitely has that look of a Michigan State team, hey, you know, all for one, one for all type of deal. You know they're going to be there come come March, despite the many years of us on this program, myself, I guess, uh, waiting for that Michigan State team to not be good come the fall or from the, come the spring. They will be. You can just tell, even though that they lost last night, that they'll, they'll or night before, whenever it was, uh, that they'll get it together. It's not going to be a big deal. They they definitely of the four uh, are the least talented, but they did still appear to be extremely 
together and cohesive as a group despite that loss. Well, so we always say a staple of Michigan State is how they're always competitive. No matter if they're unranked going up against the number one team, if there's a wild talent disparity, I know for a fact with an entire offseason to boot that Tom Izzo will have his boys at least ready to play for, I don't know, 30 35 minutes out of the 40 and be competitive, which I think they were. They they kind of got raced out of the building the last 10 minutes or so. And I think that actually was the talent disparity. We can't overlook the fact that Kansas is a true, true national title contender, more so than what they've been maybe the past couple years. They have they are loaded. Depth, shooting, age, everything you want, they have. So Michigan State always brings that competitive, uh, that competitiveness, right? Uh the the one thing I did really like about this champions classic versus the others. And you alluded to it a little bit was the fact that it was pretty damn good basketball, right? When we look at the champions classic and I can unequivocally say this, it's terrible basketball. It might be competitive. It might be a close game, but there's a shitload of turnovers. There's always fouls. There's sloppy play. There's missed shots in both of these games. It was, it looked like a very free flowing, uh, fun and high level basketball. You don't necessarily see that in the first game, especially in the champions classic. And then you take all of that, right? You take freshman jitters playing their first game. You take the first time you're playing with new teammates, you're going up against a good team. But then of course, Madison square garden, the bright lights, everyone was there. Good God. Did you see how many times they, they cut away to all the different players uh, between Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, Michigan, like everyone was there. And it's not like these teams need any additional recruiting or need help from ESPN to recruit. But if I'm watching that, I see guys like RJ Barrett. I see Julius Randall there, right? I see John wall. I'm seeing all these guys sitting at MSG Emmanuel quickly. I want to go to these schools, but Taylor, did you notice at all that like the level of play and the actual basketball itself was better? Now, do you think that's, that was a result? If you do agree with that, do you think that's a result of, the players themselves like Bancaro, like Keels, like Agbaji, or do you think it was just maybe a one-off? Um, I don't think it's necessarily one-off. Um, you know, look at someone like uh, AJ Hoggard, for example. Uh, he had, What a game he had off the bench there yesterday too for Michigan State. I think more so uh, it's a product of not only were the teams talented, that goes without saying, but that we had a full off season. We had a full training program. We had a f- no real um, question about when things were happening, how they were happening, all that type of stuff like we did over the last year or two. So we really haven't seen fully prepared basketball programs in 18 months. And even if they were fully prepared last year, we're still talking about potentially wearing masks in practice and not even being able to run full practices and all of that type of uh, uh, tomfoolery, let's call it. Um, now we have legitimate off-season program where these guys were back in the gym the entire year or entire summer. The, the season started on time. It ended. It's going to end when it should, all of that type of stuff. So I think that's got to be a factor in the preparedness uh, of both these teams because you're talking about four of the six best coaches in college basketball and we're are in the champions classic. And so you give them back to being a full off season. And the other factor, I think they kind of go hand in hand is 
any, even though the teams are young, uh, the some of the senior leadership that you have on these teams are these motherfuckers have been there for six years, five, you know, five years, some of these. So there, there's not even a question in what we're doing every day in practice, stuff like that. Like your senior leaders, even your junior leaders are legitimate, like men, men, uh, they're 22, 23, 24 years old in some cases. So I think that's probably a factor in it. I think that's going to be a factor uh, in the entire basketball season this year. We ended the year last year, kind of talking about the same thing. And I think that's going to be a big, big thing this year. Like, look at Kansas. You know, neither you or I are the biggest Remy Martin fans in the world. But imagine having a, like, fifth-year senior like Remy Martin who can essentially be inserted into any lineup or any situation, and he's seen it before. And then you you go with the obvious or give him the obvious talent and coaching upgrade over Arizona State. And that's not even me hating on Arizona State. It's just obvious that Kansas is way better in that department. And I think we'll see a lot of that across college basketball this year. And I think we're in for an extremely high-quality product throughout the whole year. So I definitely do not think it's a one-off situation. Even Dan Shulman was laughing. He couldn't keep it together. A pro's pro couldn't keep it together when he said – 24-year-old Mitch Lightfoot comes in off the bench. It's impossible not to laugh at that. And I don't know if these three ever shared the floor, but Remy Martin, Jalen Coleman, Lance, and Mitch Lightfoot, these guys might have a combined age of like 64. Uh, it's it's outrageous. Even Mitch Lightfoot apparently was, here's a nugget for you. Lightfoot was a camp counselor at Bill Self's camp, which means he was a player there when a current freshman was at that camp. I, I think his name's uh, Clayton's Clarence. Some, uh, one, of, one of the new guys for Kansas attended Bill Self's camp. And now his teammate, Mitch Lightfoot, was the was the was one of the counselors. It's absurd. But yeah, Jalen Coleman lands is on maybe his fourth team. He's the transfer from Iowa State. Theo John, who I already mentioned, Sheebway is a transfer. All these guys are Remy Martin, like you had mentioned. So yeah, Kansas, I'm telling you, they have they have the experience. That's for damn sure. Um, and Agbaji. We we gotta we gotta stop right here and talk about Ochai Agbaji and his performance because he he scored, I think, with I think he has the second most points, third or second most points in um in Champions Classics history, which is pretty damn impressive. He was awesome. So I'm going to go back just a second to Mitch Lightfoot. Mitch Mitch Lightfoot was a part of the Josh Jackson, Lonzo Ball, Jason Tatum, Markel Fultz class. Those guys have been in the NBA and have, in fact, already gotten their max extensions on their rookie contracts. That's how long Mitch Lightfoot has Lonzo's been. Lonzo's on his third team. Yeah. Lonzo's yeah. on his fucking third team. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Malik Monk's on like his fifth. No, not really. Uh, but um, say what you said again. Uh, about Agbaji. the most points. In- Agbaji, so, man. He was and, awesome. I mean, so how many points is that? I think he had 29, 28. You know who leads, by the way? You know no, who has the I, most? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Who? I was actually shocked by this. Not to say that he was a bad player at all. He was actually a very good player. And he's actually having a better than expected NBA career. Grayson Allen had 37. Hmm. I don't yeah. remember that. <laughs> Grayson Allen, well, talk about a guy who I thought was going to be out of the NBA after he kind of flunked out in Memphis. Not flunked out in Memphis, but he's like a he's a legit he's good man contributor for the reigning NBA champions. Yeah, I'll take him. Yeah, who 
Who would have thought that? Um, I would have definitely guessed. Didn't it like RJ Barrett or Zion? Didn't RJ Barrett go off in in his championship? I think they're game? they're they're both up there. Yeah, they both they both they combined for like twenty some odd, or not combined for it, but I think Barrett and Zion both had twenty or some odd. Yeah, yeah, I remember Barrett having an absurd game. Um, but so you're not talking about? Are you saying that was one of the highest scoring games in Champions Classic history? Or no, he has I'm, the most, I'm, yeah, or he, he has the he's most on that list. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, not yeah. yeah most, uh, let me let me pull yeah, the yeah, list. But I'm just saying, Agbaji was awesome. Yes. No. He he very much was. He very much was. Yeah. I mean, not not to belabor this point, which I'm good at doing, but I it was just a very fun night of college basketball at MSG, and uh, something that. Uh, we've both been waiting for we all everyone listening to this program have been waiting for for literal years now at this point i hate to bring, take a turn to negative town but before i do yeah most points in a championship er, champions classic game all right grayson allen at 37 number two part of the brotherhood you had mentioned him who do you think it is rj that but that brotherhood, I think it's RJ Barrett. He didn't have like thirty three. Nailed it. Egbaji had twenty nine. Zion at number five, twenty eight. Now, who was sandwiched between Egbaji and Zion in twenty fifteen? <laughs> this guy just cracks me up every time. He's still in the league. Uh, still in the league. Um, boy, that's I, that's going to be a tough one. I. I I'm not sure. Denzel Valentine with 29. Oh, wow. Yeah. I guess that was, that would have been his senior year or junior year, whatever his last year in college. Right. I think so. Well, that, that year ended with a middle Tennessee Giddy Potts upset. Oh, Giddy Potts. Wow. Oh yeah. Uh, who's, uh, who's the NBA player? Who's the last name Giddy right now? Is he for the Cavs? Josh Giddy. Yeah. Josh Giddy's the rookie for OKC, I believe. Right. OKC, that's who it is. And uh, every time I watch an OKC game, which is every time they beat the Lakers, which is every time they play the Lakers, um, I keep thinking of Giddy Potts. Yeah. Um, so those uh, great, great performance from Egbaji. Awesome performances from uh from Keel, from from Keels, excuse me, from Bancaro, from AJ Hogard, like you had mentioned. You know who didn't have a great performance though? High highly recruited guy. A lot of stars, and he'll be fine. He'll bounce back. There's no point in overreacting. Kentucky's tight tie Washington, though. He was not terrific, and you know how Big Blue Nation can be. Uh, <laughs> they're they're afraid of maybe a repeat of Devin Askew, whatever it is. So Ty Ty Washington did not have his best performance the other night. That's uh, I believe Gilbert's own Ty Ty Washington here. Mitch Lightfoot, Gilbert guy. Uh, Ty Ty Washington, Gilbert guy here in the Phoenix metro area. Um, here's the problem with Ty Ty Washington, and this is nothing against Ty Ty Washington. It's more of against the uh, recruiting rankings uh, as we see it. So, uh, you know, every team was involved in Ty Ty Washington's recruitment. So he commits to Kentucky. And all of a sudden, he goes from a really good low-end five-star, high-end four-star, maybe even into that little more five-star. And then all of a sudden, he commits to Kentucky, and he's boosted into, like, the top 15. Oh, is he the top point guard in the country? Oh, is he a top 10 draft pick next year? The whole nine. And I get that going to a Kentucky type of school, or a Kentucky, or just Kentucky in general, means that that's the 
the type of coverage you get. But you have to understand that not everybody that goes to Kentucky is, they all can't be top five draft picks. They all can't be top 10 draft picks. So he's going to be fine. I think that's just the problem with where Ty Ty was uh, last night, where it's like, okay, yes, he was a really, really, really good. He was a great recruit. And he's a for sure top 25 guy, for sure low end five star guy. But he committed to Kentucky, and then all of a sudden, Big, Big Blue Nation is like, oh, you know. He's as fast as John Wall. He's, you know, like, come on. Is, is he Brandon Knight with the braids? Like, just just relax, okay, and let a guy play a game. Yeah, I think that's that's good caution to heed, and we have a long season, of course. So, terrific Champions Classic. I can't wait to see how these teams pan out, how they plan out. They're, look, Duke and Kentucky, they didn't make the tournament last year. Michigan State was a playing team. Kansas, they lost. They got smoked by USC. Should have probably lost that first round game. I, you could argue these guys are back. Okay, they're not going to be on the bubble. They're not going to be missing out on the tournament. They're going to be back. So awesome, Champions Classic. Let's move on though to some other teams. And I, I want to focus uh, again. You know what? Maybe this is a an inward thing. Maybe I need to go go see a therapist. But uh, it just makes for way better fodder when we talk about the negativity and the awful losses. Because there were some terrible, terrible losses uh, in the world of college hoops. Specifically, not terribly surprising, I I guess, from the Pac-12. Although, they had an awesome tournament last year. You cannot take that away from the Pac-12. The Pac-12 was dominant. Clearly the best conference in the tournament last year. But the ACC as well. So let's kind of go down this list here, Taylor. And, I mean, we can offer any any notes thoughts but i want to just get these games out of the way and and alert the theater goer because i'm sure some of them are going to either be like oh yeah shit that's right or wow that actually happened so we'll start in the acc georgia tech losing to miami of ohio a year removed from winning the acc virginia another acc team loses to navy both of those obviously at home Pitt acc at home loses to the citadel Houston didn't lose, almost lost to Hofstra. Wichita State was battling against Jacksonville State. Ohio State barely hangs on against Akron. Uh, Colorado in the Pac-12 now had to go to overtime against Montana State. Washington just terrible. I referenced Mike Hopkins at the top of the program. They lose to Northern Illinois. Jordan Lynch, former quarterback, somewhere smiling. Uh, Nebraska, good Lord. They lose to Western Illinois. And Cal actually started the day off with a loss to UC San Diego. What were the ones that stood out to you the most, T? So uh, Cal was the funniest one to me because a friend of the program, Travis Church, put a huge uh, favorite parlay, like 15 team long, and uh, started with Cal. So he got fucking torched on literally (laughs) the the first game of the college basketball season. I didn't. Okay, so I didn't know that when I just now mentioned they started the day off. Yeah, right. Like literally he got smoked. And he put it, he's putting in, not to be overly betting here, but he, he, he put in like a 10, 12 team parlay of like super favorites just to kind of try and make a couple bucks, you know, and he gets torched first game of the day. That since I'm talking to you about that, I told him not to take Pitt because the Citadel is actually really good. Uh, I, I knew, I told him Pitt was not going to cover it at minimum 
Uh, Citadel to me was the easiest one, uh, especially if you look at Pitt. They ha- they're a little depleted, and they lost the first game of the year to St. Francis last year too. So now this is two years in a row that they've lost to a mid-major game one. Um, so those those aren't actually the real ones that, I, that are going to affect the college basketball season the most. Uh, you are exactly correct in uh, the Pac-12 just being worthless as per usual. Uh, Washington awful uh, Cal awful uh the biggest surprise though for sure to me was Houston uh even though they won Houston going to overtime um who are they playing against Hofstra I know Hofstra Hofstra made the tournament last year I believe correct I think so I just remember Speedy Claxton being relevant again so that must have been why (laughs) yes right and then of course Ohio State needing after giving up a four-point play needing a buzzer beater now, Subi, you and I have been this through this in our fanhood, uh, where we're rooting for our alma mater, and they play a game where that needs like a buzzer beater to to win a game like that, and everybody's all fired up and pumped. But I know you and I have been in the crowd, like, okay, this is yeah, great, we won, <laughs> we beat, we were favored by twenty five points, and we needed a buzzer beater, yay! So yeah, at least they won. You know, I, I guess if you're an Ohio State fan. Uh, but those were definitely the two big big takeaways for me. That was the Houston one, um, and then I guess as a little aside to that, the thing that makes Virginia great is also the thing that makes them susceptible to these type of games. We've talked about this before. Obviously, they have suffered the greatest upset in the history of college basketball a couple of years ago. Potentially uh, sports. Yeah, potentially. It's literally never happened before. I don't know. USA versus USSR. Fine. Miracle on ice. God damn. But from a numeric standpoint, that could be it. Go ahead. Sorry. Great moments are born from great opportunity. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's what just makes them susceptible to this type of stuff is that's that slower style of, of play where you even give up a couple more buckets than what your defense should allow and you just don't have the pace to to outscore people, then that's a problem. Now you look at, you know, Bennett's record over the course of time and the fact that they just won a recent national championship and it overwhelmingly works to their favor, but it so it doesn't like it doesn't bother me uh, as a you know as it relates to Virginia's season uh, that they lost this game. And at least, I mean, I don't know how good Navy is supposed to be this year, but at least it wasn't like Eastern, Western, Middle Tennessee Technical Institute or something like that. You know, at least they're like, yeah, Navy, okay. They probably at least have some athletes, right? I'm not sure. So Virginia's to me doesn't really bother me. Um, I would be most worried, I guess, if I was, uh, I guess, Houston. Uh, They were very favored in that game. And they do have a lot of uh, had a lot of uh, roster turnover from this last year uh, in, in terms of, you know, who has the ball and who's their go to guy. They already had problems scoring last year. And I think that's just kind of something that Houston continually has a problem with. Um, so I would be a little concerned about that, because if you can't outscore Hofstra at home in your first game of the year, then I would be worried to see how how the rest of the season goes for you. Yeah, I think those are all good notes. And it depends on what you're looking at when you talk about worried, right? I trust Tony Bennett to get his team right. They're not a national title contender, but and they're not as good as their window was. And in, in making some of my notes, I say it every single time, Taylor. I say it maybe once every single year. UVA fans have to 
be so happy and so relieved that they capitalized and got a national title. Because if not, I mentioned that was arguably the biggest uh, upset in, in sports history. I think in college basketball, you could make the case that it, had they not won a title, that is the best window of a college basketball team or program that didn't capitalize. They ran the ACC. For like four years, they might have had maybe four conference losses, something insane. They were the number one seed year in and year out. I'm just trying to imagine had they not won and capitalized on a title, which they were very close to achieving. They had to go to overtime against Chris Beard and Texas Tech. But you couple if, if again, hypothetical, there's no point in playing it. They did end up winning it. But if they didn't capitalize, if they lose to Texas Tech, part of that window being that they they lost to fucking UMBC and now it's over, right? Like the window's closed. I don't foresee UVA winning another title anytime soon. Maybe a final four because who the hell knows, right? That's college basketball. But I mean, UVA, they got to be so happy because the, the, the they're now just a fringe top 25 team. But you're right. Look, they have Tony Bennett, who is terrific. Georgia Tech, man. They should have beaten Miami of Ohio, obviously from a, a, a favorite standpoint, they were at home, but they gave up an 8-0 run to lose. You can't do that. That's just a complete lack of discipline, and that might fall a little bit on Passner. He was awesome last year. He showed some signs, and Georgia Tech showed some signs because they did end up winning the ACC. They're not. That's not going to happen this year. They're, they're not as good as the Dukes, as the Carolinas, maybe even the Louisvilles, right? So that 8-0 run, a little bit troubling. For me, the two biggest would be, if I was a fan, I think it's Pitt and, let me see here, Pitt and Nebraska. Now, there's not much of a Nebraska fandom, maybe even Washington. Pitt, Nebraska, and Washington. So the reason I bring those guys up, especially Pitt, is because Pitt used to be amazing with Jamie Dixon. They have fallen so far from grace. But you look at teams like Pitt, Washington, and Nebraska, and you're just begging guys like Jeff Capel, Mike Hopkins, Fred Hoiberg to make changes, to make updates, to give you something to root for. It's just a dead end for those guys. There is nothing that – I mean, they they probably entered the season being like, well, our expectations are a little low, fine. But who knows? Maybe they can give us something to root for. There's nothing there, man. It's just so depressing if you're a Pitt fan to to lose and as consistently as you have. It's so depressing as a Washington fan. Why does Washington suck? Why does Pitt suck when Pitt used to have a pipeline in the Bronx and New York? When Washington has Seattle in its backyard, some of the best. It is Seattle. I shouldn't. What, what am I saying? Right. So those are probably the losses that would shock me and just make me so depressed in terms of players Ohio State you know how sometimes when a team loses at the end of the previous season they have uh, TVs in the weight room just replaying the game or they have a constant reminder in their locker room about how they got upset which is exactly what happened against Oral Roberts I don't know how you come down first game of the season quite literally after your last game against Oral Roberts and play that poorly they should have lost that game Give up a four-point play, dude, to give up the lead? I mean, that is inexcusable. So I'm thinking to myself, EJ Liddell played so well. The rest of the guys, Chris Holtman, I don't know how they weren't ready. So that's a bit concerning, especially considering I took them to win the Big Ten title. But maybe that'll change. And then Wichita State, 
you got a guy like uh, ETN, Tyson ETN, who's supposed to, I mean, he kind of arrived last year. This is supposed to be his year. And he had a Steph Curry-esque shot to win the game. But they, I don't think even they should be scr- struggling with Jacksonville State. So that's sort of the breakdown. I think from a depressing standpoint, though, man, there's just no hope for teams like Pitt, Nebraska, and Washington. And on day one, a lot of NFL fans will say this about their favorite teams on, on week one, like, oh, shit, the season's over. Maybe week two, oh, shit, the season's over. <laughs> I think it's over for these guys, Pitt, Nebraska, and Washington. So let me clarify something I said about Houston. I said they had a lot of roster turnover. That's not necessarily true. They did lose a few guys, I guess is what I meant by that. So one of the things that gives me pause about them is they have like three or four senior starters. You can't lose or not. I mean, you can't be in that situation. Same with Ohio State, too. It's like you can't be in that situation. It'd be one thing if they were just kids like, you know, Kentucky and Duke or whatever. Like, yeah, okay, they lost a freshman game, whatever. But these guys have been in the gym for three, four, five years in some cases. Uh, I want to look at Washington, though, um, as a discussion we've had over the course of years on this program, uh, especially a year before last when we did the manifesto. This was our exact discussion about Washington. And it's why can't this team ever be fucking good? Like, it, there's no, it makes no sense. They, they have more number one picks than they have in the last five years, and they have, like, wins. It's stupid. It doesn't make any sense about how they can continually just not perform. They, Like you said, they have one of the best recruiting grounds in the country right there on campus, one of the sneaky best recruiting grounds on campus uh, or, you know, in the Seattle area. And it's not like they have bad coaches either. Lorenzo Romar was one of the most well-respected coaches in the entire country throughout his uh, time there at Washington. And Hopkins uh, is, con- was considered to be perhaps the best assistant coach in the country when he was at Syracuse. And maybe, as many people argued at that time, really the captain of the that Syracuse ship, because Bayheim was supposedly on his way out, which, you know, still hasn't quite happened yet, but he was supposedly the architect of that, those, those really great defensive teams from five, six, seven, eight years ago that went to a couple final fours in there. So that's what really always can, you know, surprises me about Washington is it's a school that I think if you asked the casual fan, if Washington was a good basketball school or not, most would say, well, yeah, you know, they've got, you know, Isaiah Thomas and all of these type of guys. And then Brandon Roy, even Tony Roten, all those type of guys. Darnell Gant as well. Uh, T. Ross. Yeah. Oh, it, look. Yeah. Uh, it goes on. Qu- Quincy Pondexter, whatever. I mean, it, Markel Fultz, it, it continues to go. And so you just look at this and, and you think to yourself, okay, how does this team like not, they, not only do they not make the tournament, but they're just like straight up fucking bad every year. Or most years. And that's just, it, it's very confusing to me. It is. I agree. I, it's Mike Hopkins is one of those deals where as a fan, you would laid it out. Right. And that's, I'm, I'm sneaky afraid. I don't, I, I don't think Tommy Lloyd will be as bad as Mike Hopkins, but that's sort of what you're fearful of when you pick a, a, an assistant coach to come be the head coach. And I wanted to give him time because of the quad a green, I mean, he, he landed Quade Green as a transfer from, from Kentucky, but then Green got academically ineligible. So then you're like, okay, that's a shit hand that, that Hopkins has dealt with, but it's been a little bit now. And they haven't been anywhere near competitive with guys like Green on the court uh, when he is eligible with a guy like Isaiah Stewart, who went 
top 20, I think, and, and was on the all rookie team for the Pistons. Right. So it's, it's, it's very bleak. It's very bleak in an already bleak city. That's how you talk right there. That's how you, that's how you podcast um, Seattle. For those that don't know it, very, very bleak, terrific city though. That's actually, you know what? Seattle actually might join the ranks. I love Seattle, but I only go there during the summer. Um, but you look at a team like Pitt too, an assistant coach, Jeff Capel coming from Duke, learning from one of the best. He can't turn them around. Jamie Dixon was the linchpin because Kevin Stallings was a miserable fuck at Pitt. Awful. He kind of started this torpedo and now they hired Capel to bring him out of it. He can't do it for a team that's in the ACC that has big East pedigree that it, used to be able to recruit along with UConn and some of the other Big East teams in New York. They just can't do it anymore. I like Pitt is completely irrelevant and they used to be one of the most fun home court atmospheres in all of college basketball. Pitt used to be the team that you would see a lot in Madison Square Garden and everyone would be like, "Oh, it's a homecoming for guys like like Gilbert Brown," right? It's a homecoming for all of these players. They don't get those invites anymore, man. They they just don't get those invites. Yeah, I maybe you know, I maybe part of it is Pitt's fan base isn't necessarily huge. So when they fall out of like the top of the conference, they don't have a lot of relevancy in conversation. You know, like if Duke, Kentucky, or Michigan, any of these other teams kinda kinda even like an NC State. NC State has a huge fan base in, in their area. So you, at least you get some you, you hear about them. When Pitt's not good, they're they're gone, never, never to be heard of again. Even Washington, I feel like, but maybe because I'm a West Coast person, maybe I hear about them a little more than the norm. And I got a lot of people in Seattle, but Pitt, yeah, when they just when they aren't aren't good, they absolutely disappear, and that's a tough. You know, how do you turn a program around when you have that type of competition? You have to play every single year. I mean, I guess. Georgia Tech kind of did it last year in what you would could consider a similar or worse situation, but uh, yeah, but we all we all know again the context of last year, right? COVID year, and they're the same colors. Yeah, there's a stretch, but yeah, you are uh, the pit of our day. Let's call it was a top ten team every single year. The pit of now is losing to the Citadel by. 17 at home that's just ridiculous that's the other thing i mean it wasn't even close right at least at least virginia is keeping it close against navy they're not they're not as bad as Pitt. uh houston ends up ends up pulling it out ohio state ends up pulling it out colorado let's not let them slide colorado had a terrible performance against uh, montana state and it shouldn't be too surprising to us because none of us really buy tad boyle as a great coach but I mean, they have a lot of players coming back. They have Parquet. Evan Batty is a two. He's he's a Van Wilder guy, and he's a big boy grilling on the roof guy. Uh, and then Jabari Jabari Parker, right? Samaki Walker. No, Jabari Walker. Excuse me, uh, not Jabari Parker. Good lord. Um, yeah, Samaki Walker's son, Jabari Walker. He's back. So they didn't look too good against Montana State. Uh, it'll be interesting to see though. T who is able to bounce back from these and who this is you know are these teams going to let this define their season so we have to have a maybe on the fly discussion here i know shark hates those but what's the what are we going to do with the van wilder house this year because there's going to be like literally hundreds of these guys 
Yeah, that's a good question. I think you just got to go whomever's oldest. I mean, Mitch Lightfoot is 24. I don't even think, that, like, a, a normal, oh, God, this guy's a Van Wilder guy. I don't think any of them have really breached or got, uh, approached 24. Like, how old is Evan Batty? Evan Batty is a guy who you think and you're like, God damn, you're old. I feel like the same thing with Remy Martin. 24 years old, man. <sighs> a lot of people are are making a move in the corporate world at 24 years old. You're like not even entry level that much anymore at 24. I don't know, but, but I, I do know that Coleman lands and, and Mitch Lightfoot are the elder statesmen of the elder statesmen. Evan, Evan Batty just turned 23, just turned 23, believe yeah. it or not. So I, I believe that though. Yeah. You know, who's, Still younger than you would think he is, and that's uh, Brad Davison. Still only twenty-two. How he's still twenty-two, I have no idea because he's been twenty-two for four years. Minimum. Here's how. Here's how I know you're a casual basketball fan, or at least a casual college basketball fan, is if you go to the old same tired well of oh Perry Ellis, Perry Ellis. Perry Ellis was just a four-year player. I never, in my heart of hearts, it, like thought. Perry, he just looked old. He looked super old and was a four-year player, which was kind of unheard of at that time. Perry Ellis, though, is not like he was not haunting people for 15 years. So that's how I know you're casual. You got to go to guys like like Mitch Lightfoot, who may not be haunting teams, but I'm telling like Mitch Lightfoot has been in our brains forever. Remy Martin, the same way. Jalen Coleman lands, like I had mentioned, is uh who who's the other guy, the DePaul guy, uh, the point guard, Charlie Moore. Those are guys that you should be making fun of. Not a guy like Perry Ellis, who was just a four-year player and just looked old. That was it. Here's uh, something that's strange about this college basketball season, speaking of age of players. Wisconsin, we always think of as a team, speaking of, uh, as being like the oldest team in college basketball, perpetually. They only have two seniors on the roster this year. They're actually one of like the younger teams in, in the Big Ten, and that's talk about an ass backwards uh roster usually they have a whole bunch of 23 year olds in a normal year like not even a covid related year this year they only have two seniors on the whole roster do you think it's because all the seniors are like fuck greg guard i don't want to be near him anymore yeah i guess i guess so yeah uh last year was not great for greg guard yeah uh so those are some awful losses i'm, I'm just so happy talking talking shop about actual games and having to fill content here with and and damn a million people for interviews which i still want to do don't don't get me wrong i want to do that but we have a lot of content here so uh let's go ahead to some other observations before we actually finish it up with some segments i don't know if you had any other observations taylor but for me tyler kolek point guard for marquette i believe he's a transfer a lot of white chocolate jason williams in him I don't know why, but he had that like little lateral jump step that J- Jason Williams used to do. He's white. Uh, he's a point guard. He, he I think he uh, had eight assists or something like that a, a couple nights ago. So Tyler Kolek for Marquette. Watch out for him. Um, and then Josh Anderson for Western Kentucky might have sealed already the dunk of the year against Alabama State. I don't know if you were able to see this. Theater goer, go ahead and Google Josh Anderson, Western Kentucky, Alabama State. Fucking detonation, an absolute hammer. Uh, And the high camera angle, we're usually very critical of that. 
we all know what the high camera angle is. Watch a Cal basketball game. They're the first ones that come to mind, but there's a lot of arenas out there that do the high camera angle. Usually sucks. Uh, but for this, it was perfect because the dunk was incredible. And I genuinely think it, I mean, he, I think he flushed the Alabama state guys head through the, through the rim as well. So those were some of my observations. Any other options that you want to bring up before we hit segments? Uh, St. Mary's, I think has a camera angle like that too. I think if I remember correctly, uh, but no, I, you've wrapped up all of my observations into two very tight bows there. I appreciate that. Is that just a Bay Area thing then? If St. Mary's and Cal, like, is that a Bay Area thing? Well, that didn't even cross my mind when I said that, but yeah, it, it must be. Uh, what it's Heck Ed Pavilion, right? That's what Cal plays in, and they don't even have stanchions on their ba- uh, behind their baskets, do they? Do they hang down? Maybe that's part of the problem. I have no idea. I can't even remember. Yeah, oh, I know so much for player safety. Yeah, right. Well, I think it's pro player safety, isn't it? If there's nothing to run into, if there's no stanchion. No, it's like like if it's just hanging down, then there's nothing behind the basket. Oh, 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 I see what you're saying. Yeah, I was thinking there's still some sort of pole or something that a player could run into. I don't know, but maybe that's part of the camera angle issue. I don't know. Fodder for another time to use your uh, term fodder there. Let's go ahead and finish it up now with some segments making its second appearance on the show. You're old as fuck. Old as fuck. Jabri Abdurrahim. That name sounds familiar to you guys. He is the son of Sharif Abdurrahim. Jabri plays at Georgia after spending some time at Virginia. Um, Sharif, of course, is the former Cal great. I don't know. Actually, that's a segue. I should have segued with that. Sharif Abdurrahim, a former Cal Bear, a great player for them, and also a Grizzlies great. So the guys at the barn burner should really love him. I think they do. One of the forgotten cornerstones of that franchise after his time in Vancouver, I would like to think Sharif Abdurrahim was a hell of a ball player. I certainly vividly remember him playing, and now I feel old as fuck knowing that his son is playing college basketball. Do you, do you remember uh, Sharif at all? Yeah, uh, I remember him when uh, he was what? On the Hawks? Yeah, that's probably when I remember Sharif Abdurrahim the most. Great name. I'm trying to think of what uh, what other similar name was on the Hawks at the same time, but that's where I that's what. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it was. I'm but serious. Yes. I think that was a player. Yeah, that's what I that's what I remember most about Sharif Abdurrahim. Yeah, feeling old. All right, T, uh, you want to finish this off now with some hugs? Yes, I apologize for the slight delay in my response to you just a second ago, because I was trying to count the amount of games that Chicago state had played since they won a one last. Uh, I wasn't even able to finish. That's what was taking me so long. And they did win yesterday for the first time since at least 2019 uh, middle of the year, 2019. Let's call it that. Um, yes. The 2019 season there. Anyway, um, they beat St. Thomas yesterday to pick up their first win in at least at least 30 games from what I could tell. Uh, and they got this, you know, second half of their season was canceled due to COVID last year, too. So shout out to Chicago State for all the good losses or bad losses and good wins by by teams yesterday. Chicago State uh, should be up there with one to finally at least get a W. I'll tell you what, man. Thank you for that. I feel a little guilty having gone to negative town, but we needed some of that positivity to round it out. We did a positive, negative, positive, sort of like a sandwich right there. So I'm glad you shouted out Chicago State. Congratulations. Certainly a hug for them. 
Hey, you know who we'll be talking about him more throughout the year. But you know who we haven't said their name? Like Chet Holm. Chet Holmgren. We haven't even said anything about fucking Chet Holmgren, who was an absolute beast for Gonzaga already, which is not surprising. If anyone saw his his tape and that game against Amani Bates, and Amani held his own. Amani also played well, hadn't mentioned his name. But Chet Holmgren, out there in the Pacific Northwest, right? He's going to get forgotten here and there just because he's going to be playing late basketball. But make no mistake about it, as if my board means shit to anyone, he's my number one player in the country. And I think he's going to win National Player of the Year. But the thing is, this is a hug for Chet. It's actually a hug for Timmy. Let me tell you, number one, he led an absolute stinker against Baylor in the national title game to effectively cost his team at an undefeated season. A lot of Gonzaga fans would put performance uh, as a bad performance for Drew Timmy. Not his fault. He got absolutely eaten alive by the big beast down at Baylor. But that was a to his spring, and then his head coach, his head coach gets a DUI. Uh, and then uh, Holmgren is, in my opinion, going to steal his If at home, we're probably going to Timmy, still is a great player, one of the most efficient players in the country. But with Chet there, you're, you're a forgotten piece, my man. I'm sorry. You're probably going to contribute, and you're going to be awesome, and everyone's going to say, damn, Drew Timmy is such a great Robin to Chet's Batman, but at the end of the day, you are now Robin, my friend. This is Chet Holmgren's team, and he was truly, truly incredible uh, in his debut. Very much looking forward to seeing Chet uh, moving forward. We want to thank you guys as well for listening. We will catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops. We're just getting started. T, great chatting with you. We'll do this again next week.
Fill a dream on And my imagination Will thrive upon that kiss mm, Sweetheart I ask no more than this A kiss to fill a dream on mm. Give me a kiss before you leave me And my imagination Will feed my hungry heart Leave me one thing before we part A kiss to build a dream on 